Welcome to another episode of The Quantified Body. I'm your host, Damien Blankensop. Sometimes on a show, we talk about using supplements as tools to get a desired result. Examples discussed in past episodes are curcumin, activated charcoal, anti-factor, greens powder, oxoalastate, and many more. I've been very aware for a long time that not all supplement products are equal in quality. For instance, if they actually contain as much of the active ingredients as the label says on them, or if they are contaminated with, say, heavy metals or pesticides. Last year, this issue was given more publicity when the New York State Attorney General's Office investigated supplements found at GNC, Target, Walmart, and Walgreens and sent cease and desist letters to each for some of their supplements that neither contained the active ingredients and at times contained other undesirable ingredients that weren't listed on the labels. The unfortunate takeaway is if you truly want the results from supplements, so if we talk about a result that can be achieved through a supplement on this show, then you can't just take it for granted and buy any supplement. You have to make sure they contain what you want and don't contain what you don't want. So how do we do that? Well, I've been using a lab service for a few years now that tests and reports on the quality of supplement products. So I can select the products that will achieve the result while minimizing the cost. Sometimes you don't need to buy the most expensive brand to get the best quality, which is kind of cool. The service was consumerlab.com, which is a subscription service. So you have to pay, unfortunately. However, the good news is that an open alternative is now available that has been publishing extensive lab testing data on popular supplement categories. That company is labdoor.com. If you have the internet available, it will probably be useful to check out the rankings the company is publishing while listening to this episode to see what the end result is and what it it actually is that they're publishing. So that's labdoor.com. Door.com, L-A-B-D-O-O-R.com. Today's guest is Neil Tanadar, CEO and founder of Labdoor.com and founder of Avamine Analytical Services, which is a company that specializes in product lab analytics to see what they are composed of. Labdoor is now four years in the making and set to start growing at a faster pace and covering more supplement categories now that they've got some solid funding behind them. In this interview, Neil walks us through the types of analysis they run on supplements to understand their quality and some of the most interesting and useful results they found in the supplement market, as well as highlights such as we shouldn't really be trusting user reviews that you find around the internet on places such as Amazon because there doesn't seem to be much of a correlation. And there are other big takeaways like that, which I'm sure kind of goes against what we've all been doing. As usual, to get the show notes, the links to everything mentioned in the show, the transcript, and so on and so forth, you can go to thequantifiedbody.net and find the episode there. If you want that all in your email inbox, just go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash newsletter, pop your email in there, and you'll get it from then on. Now let's dive into this interview with Neil Tanadar. The Quantified Body. New technologies are bringing us more and better data on our bodies every day. This data promises to help us make better decisions for better health, higher performance, less disease, and greater longevity. In the Quantified Body, we explore this promise to find out where it is creating real-world results, improving bodies, and improving lives. 
Neil, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're in a pretty uh, niche area. There's been um, a couple of companies around which have been testing supplement products for a while. And of course, there's been a fair amount of news over the last year or so talking about the high variability in supplement quality and whether we're getting what we want. So I was just interested, like, how did you get into this whole area? Where did this start for you? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in research. I grew up in science. My dad's a PhD chemist. Uh, When I was two years old, he quit his job as a researcher and started his own lab. And it was just him for a couple months. Uh, He kind of slowly grew that lab all the way up until I was in college. And so he had retired by the time I was in college. And when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my career, I think the first thing I really wanted to do is I wanted to I had really thought about biotechnology or, or inventing new medicines. And that was really the first thing that I had thought of. And throughout the process, I, I found out that kind of the existing process, the existing medicines and supplements just weren't clean. They weren't safe. Uh, and so I, I jumped right back into the same industry that my dad did, which is quality control. And so right out of college, I, I started a lab. Uh, and it was a chemical analysis lab called Avamine. And we did product development, failure analysis work. We figured out for manufacturers, when something went very wrong, a pill had a black dot on it, your baseboards were yellowing, there was an an odd smell coming from a multivitamin, right? Like any sort of, like something is going wrong. The company would come to us, we would do all of the testing required to figure out what they should go and fix. Okay. What, you just mentioned baseboards. What are, what are baseboards? <laughs> oh, like base, like literally the baseboards, uh, like on your in the floor, like that connects like the floor to the carpet. Oh, okay. Like like literally those like that little like white strip uh-huh. uh, was like that's actually a project that we did once. Oh, okay. Was like the white boards were turning yellow as soon as they were installed. Right, right, right. So you're so you're analyzing broad. You've actually started from analyzing a broader spectrum of uh, products, not just dietary products. Or, or oh, yeah. Other so materials. it was anything from yeah, it was anything from that to oh, a household cleaner to a sunscreen to a multivitamin to even pharmaceuticals. Great, great. Right. And like generic versus brand name medication. And so we were doing it, but we were doing it in a very reactive way and we were doing it for manufacturers. And really one day I just had the idea that really we should do the opposite business. Yeah, what if we could, instead of being reactive, we could be very proactive. We could go into a Walgreens or a CVS and buy every product off the shelf, pre-test it. So you would already know what was good or bad. And if something failed, you would know ahead of time. At this point I had as a kind of a backstory, I'd started, my dad had come in and started working with me to come out of retirement. He was starting to work at Avamine. And so what I kind of decided was that I thought I really felt like Labdoor needed its own focus. Uh, and so he really, we kind of split up and he went and he's taking care of Avamine now okay. uh, and I fully run Labdoor. So this was just, for me, it was a new way to, to work in the business. I kind of just jumped into the industry expecting it to be like it always was. And then one day, just kind of being the the new person, I was just like, hey, this is weird. Why don't we just start by testing everything? Cool, cool. So how long has Avamine been around? Then? So that company's been around for about seven years now. And then Labdoor has been around for just over four. It's been all Labdoor for me for the last four years. Okay, cool. Yeah, very interesting. So it's always good to see a, a family business like a bit. Your father's kind of proud of you for carrying on the whole research lab area. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's because it never, and we always talked about it, it's never... It was never something he he asked me to do. It was just such an interesting, it was just always interesting to me. And it, I think the science is so fascinating. You get to you figure out exactly what's inside something, right? You get to break things down. You get to reverse engineer. It's just, it's just fun. The problem in the industry is, is really just how, like, how do you get paid 
consumers need to see the data, but they're not going to pay for it ahead of time. It's really just the paying for this testing is the hard part. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I guess you've got a slight advantage because Avamin is associated with you. But how does Labdoor get paid so that you can do this for everyone else? Because the information is available for free, right? Yes. And so what we want to do is do all the testing ahead of time and help you have all the data to make the research decision. Yeah. And then what we're finding out is that people are the next thing you're doing is buying. And so if we just put affiliate links down, got 10 percent of the conversion. And that really is most of the business. And I think it, it's what we I think we love that kind of alignment with the consumer. Right. So you've got the sense of like, I don't get paid unless you actually find something you like. If you return it, like we lose the commission. Right. It's this whole process where we can really be it's performance based. And it's also something where it's sustainable every single day. People show right, there's going to be tens of thousands of people who show up to the site. They're going to buy stuff and that's going to support the next round of testing. Right. And I'm guessing it doesn't matter what they buy. It's just you putting Amazon links on on most of the stuff or something. Yeah. And so it's really easy to put yeah. it on every single product. So even and we we get some debate about this. The mm. DNF products have affiliate links on them, too. The D and the D and F. Right. So it's A through F. Great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Every single product has the link. Right, right, right. Well, I think that's the way to go because you're unbiased. You don't you're not there to promote one product versus another. It's just like you provide your objective uh, information. And then if someone buys something from using the information on your site to make that decision, yeah, you get a commission. But like you say, you've put a few links on the worst products and the best products. So there's no official bias there. I bring that up because there are some sites out there on the web, on the web, which have been out there for quite a long time. And I'm sure people are aware of these, which are basically kind of affiliate review sites and stuff like that. And they have like their number one product where they're getting paid and all the others, they're not getting paid. And obviously they're just trying to cash in there. But yours is a professional company uh, without, without that bias. Okay, so let's talk about supplement quality to actually understand what the issues are. What is the context for this first? Why should people be interested in or worried about uh, dietary supplement quality? I think there's two parts of it. I think the first part is actually there are some products that legitimately have problems, right? They're either mm. they're massively underdosing, and that's maybe a third of the products that we see, right? So there's the, the active ingredient's not there. There's some sort of heavy metals or purity issue, and that might be the the D or F grade products on the site. Yeah. And then there's really kind of the, there is this kind of other group of products that you should worry about quality wise, where I would say like the B and C products where they're just not highly concentrated. Maybe there's some famous brand that you've always heard of, but they're like the fish oil is 50% omega-3 instead of 90% omega-3, or the protein powder is 40% protein instead of 80% protein. And those are kind of the B and C products. And so those are the two things that you've got to worry about, right? Is are you getting are you not getting what you're paid for? Or are you like really being cheated? These are the two types of quality control issues that we really find on a regular basis. Right, right. These are the most common things. How would you describe supplement quality? Because I know you've got your own kind of internal rating system where you look through a whole bunch of different criteria. Yeah, I think what we, what we really want to do is start by, it's really kind of rewarding active ingredient quality and quantity and starting to penalize for the negative inactive ingredients. And so as much as possible, it's a very, like the calculations are, we try to be as intuitive with, as possible with it. The number one factor is going to be the concentration of active ingredients. So it's going to be the omega-3 concentration in a fish oil or the protein concentration of protein powder. After next, we'll look at the, the quality of the active ingredients. So we'll look at the EPA and DHA in a fish oil. We'll look at 
the amino acid profile in a protein. We'll look at label accuracy. So we'll look at how do those those numbers compare to the the label, and we'll look at purity. We'll look at mercury and PCBs in in a fish oil. We'll look at arsenic, lead, heavy metals in a protein powder. And that's really it. I think we want to try to look at kind of purity and potency and figure out does it work? Is it safe? Great, great. Thank you for that. So how do we go about testing these things? What kind of technologies are you using to look at the supplements? Yeah, so this is, it's really kind of classic analytical chemistry. So we're looking at mm. chromatography and spectroscopy, like an HPLC or a GC, GCMS, ICPMS. Okay. Could you quickly describe that? I mean, I know what you're talking about, but I think these are terms that uh, the majority of people don't really understand. I mean, I look at chromatography as basically splitting things apart so that you can look at them and then the spectroscopy is actually, you know, doing the analysis. I don't know if you've got a better way to explain it. So yeah, so we're, we're basically, we're separating, identifying ingredients and we're figuring out their, their quantities. So an HPLC would, could actually look at anything from caffeine content or a kind of vitamin content, or it could even look at something as like sunscreen content uh, and look at the, the different sunscreen ingredients. What we'd like to do, and I think this is a big part of our process, is if we can get a couple HPLCs in the building and really ramp up our testing in supplements, we might be able to, that will allow us to start experimenting with other types of products that we could test. And so really we're looking at in any of those machines, it's we have standards of the ingredients. What are the best quality ingredients supposed to look like? You can run that through an HPLC, you'll get a curve. And then you can run the product through the, the HPLC, get a curve, and you can see what the difference. Great, great. So when you say HPLC, what does that stand for again? It's a, it's a high-performance liquid chromatography. Okay, right, for separating things out. So yes, I think those are the things where we're not inventing, really. We're, that's not our... I mean, there's a lot of scientific companies, like in startups out in the market, that are truly like on the frontier of science. I think a lot of the work we do, there's... There are new methods every year and, and things are advancing, but for the most part, it's an established industry. The testing part of it is established. I think the part that we're trying to work on is how can we test thousands of products? How does it get to a point where we test thousands of products? I guess that's primarily about cost. It's, yeah, it's a really, a, it's the chicken and egg problem, right? Because we've got to do the testing before you show up. Right. So we need to. So there's a kind of a constant process of kind of test a little bit, add one more category, get that bring money back in into the business. And that kind of that cycle is really important to us. And in the cycles are going faster at this point where we, we want to be able to point where we can test instead of 25 products a month, 50 or 100 or 150 products a month. So with the approach to testing that you use, do you have to say what you're looking for? Or does it actually show up everything that is in the substance? So do you have to pre-decide that I'm looking for mercury, for example, or can you, will you pick up other things in that process? You're looking for specific ingredients. Okay. So that's the, like the HPLC where you would look at caffeine versus a caffeine standard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the part that we haven't quite, these idea of these magical devices where you like scan your food and it tells you every ingredient simultaneously. That's truly on the frontier. That's not science that exists today. So we'd love to have more information on it. Until then, there is at some level of brute force work being done here. And at some level, we've got established panels of ingredients we can look for. Right. So, right, so you can look at all of the heavy metals at once, or you can look at a whole set of carcinogens at once. There's a whole set of uh, banned substances that you can all do in one scan, right? There are certain things that we've set up and everything else 
it is there is a bit of brute force work, especially with the active ingredients. So when you say brute force, what does that mean? So you would have to, for a multivitamin, you might have to separate every individual vitamin out of there, test them each individually. And it might even get as far as vitamin A is going to be in the product in three or four different forms. And so you'll have to test each of the four forms of vitamin A individually, right? And so that's, the, that's what I start thinking about. That's truly where we get into reverse engineering active ingredients, where you need to get down to that, that individual level because we want our calculations to take that into account. We want to have, if different vitamin A forms have different bioavailabilities, we want to use that as part of the calculation. Mm. So I guess like in, in your process of trying to understand each new area, because you plan a new category, for example, fish oil you, you've done, but then you, you come across something else. You're like, okay, I don't, maybe this is a growing supplement or something that people are getting more interested in. So we'll, we'll attack this uh, category now. I guess, first of all, you're looking at some research to kind of see what the issues are, what kind of things you want to look at. And then you have these standard things like carcinogens and, and metals that I'm guessing you're looking for in most things, just because... I don't know. I guess if, if something's made in China, the odds that it could have some, some metals in it, that's one of the, the big concerns. It's even beyond that. I think every, well, also the every, almost every supply chain is global at this point. So we're, we just test everything for heavy metals off the top. Uh, so those are certain things where it's just automatic and ICPMS is expensive, but it gets a lot of use uh, versus something like each individual ingredient. I think we have to make a decision on for example, in protein powders, we started with a very simple analysis. It was We started with just a, a Keldahl-based nitrogen analysis, so we were just looking at the total nitrogen content, and then we started looking at total amino acid content, and then we started looking at free amino acid content and subtracting free amino acid content out. Uh, and so there's a whole range of how we get to the final data. I think there's you know, the work's never done, right? Because the next thing we'd want to do in protein is get into are the specific amino acid ratios more bioavailable, right? So could we build in into the calculations a system that scores the amino acids? That's something that we would be interested in doing. And so there's, at some level, there's this constant improvement that has to happen. I mean, when we test many of the products on our site, we've tested only once, right? Because we test on a yearly basis and it's the first year. That's another thing that's going to improve the data, right? So year two, year three, we're going to get more data. We're going to see... Is there any batch-to-batch, year-to-year variation? So all of that stuff is part of our uh, expansion process. It's part of our growing process where it's why we purposely limited it to 25 products per month, right? That was our pace, and we could hold to that, and we could say we can consistently deliver that kind of quality, but we're not going to go in and say, hey, look, we have 100,000 products on our site. It's just not It's not possible to do it. Right, it's not, it's not feasible. It sounds like you're you're going to be kind of on a learning curve. Uh, say you did protein like two years ago, you do it another year and you're like, you know what, last time we kind of learned this. And so we can integrate that and we can look for that this time. And that's going to be important as you formula. Is that kind of the process you're going through with some of the main supplements? Yes. And it's also, you get a lot of consumer feedback after that because we might build our quality rankings based on usually very quantitative, what we talked about, very quantitative factors like concentration but then what we need to figure out and what we've loved to add is more types of rankings, right? So are there other reasons or other ways where people make a decision? And so we used to just have one set of rankings and we found out that 
some people weren't buying the number one. And we said, hey, why do, why do people not buy the one, number one? Oh, well, there's some people who are vegan, so that's not their number one. So we added a vegan filter. Some people were buying products for kids, and so we added a children's filter. People were buying by value, so we, would, we added a value ranking, a completely separate value ranking. And so there's all of these types of, I think that that's part of the perfect world. There would be, a per, you would like take a test, or we would just like know who you were, and you're, there'd be like your perfect lab door rankings would show up, right? Right, like, and it would just be perfectly customized to you. And we're on that like lifelong path of getting to the point where we can perfectly customize it to you. And these are, I think, I mean, quality and value and kind of like vegan and sugar-free and we're hitting the major ones right now. Uh, and then we'll, I think we'll just, it just keeps getting better. Excellent, excellent. And so how accurate is the, the, the volume aspect, right? So we, you can identify that, say, that the fish oil has DHA in it or it's non-oxidized. How do you understand the actual amounts of this and how accurate is that? So we're usually, we're looking at percentages. So the if you would look at a uh, fish oil capsule, it's anywhere from 10% of that capsule is omega-3 to 90% is omega-3. If you tested a, the same product again, like the same product that was at 90, you might see it at 92 or 88, right? There might be a little bit of a variation there. Okay between tests but you you've got a good sense of like the product that tested at 90 versus the product that tested at 80 is there is clear separation sure sure sure. it's so what what is the kind of the swing and is that i mean that could be just due to each capsule right we're taking an average of at least 10 plus capsules so we're we're getting a little bit of range there it's that kind of a range right so maybe in a kind of two to five percent range sometimes in certain categories with many ingredients, sometimes you see a 10% variance, but it's, these things are pretty consistent. When you get the, once you put that first test down, you have good data. And I think that 10% variance off of the label, the labels are often very inaccurate as well, right? So there'll be more, the labels tend to be more than 10% inaccurate. So I think what we'd want to do is we, as soon as we put that first data point there, you've already got better data than you had before. And now our job is to go in and solidify that. And so there's a constant trade-off between do we go to a new product or do we test the old product again? Right. So you're taking an average. Are you taking from like, say, one bottle? You're taking like five, like 10 capsules or are you trying several bottles? How do you approach that? No. So we'll take we'll want to take it off all, all of it from the same lot. So we'll, we'll try to buy three or four bottles and have it be the same lot. And we'll we'll take so that we might have we might need 50 or 100 total samples because you might need 10 per test or something. So you might. So we'll end up using about 100 of those capsules in a, in a round uh, and save the other 300 just in case a company comes back and questions the data. Right. Uh, we need to retest all these kind of things. It's important for us to do. And so we've got a decent range there. And I think what we found out is these companies are generally doing between two to four major batches of product a year. You are getting if you grab any one of those products off the shelf, you do get you get really close on that first test. And then everything after that, we've got to, we just got to test every year. Right, right, right. So you mentioned lot and batch. Are they the same thing? So I think a lot of people would think about, I mean, there might be multiple lots in a batch. So it's a little bit of a manufacturing lingo. I think we are starting also, that's part of our learning curve as well, is we're trying to get more into how manufacturers work and how, how that side of the industry works. Because I think we jumped in just totally as consumers, right? And we were just like, how, how can we figure out how to make get all this data out. And then what we found out was there was just a, there's a different, I mean, from the industry, there is companies complaining about, Hey, you're sharing our proprietary blend. Like, don't do that. Or like, 
that data is wrong or like our data shows something else, like our internal lab says something else. And there's a lot of that, right? And in the early days, I think we just, we almost didn't have the time to handle all of the all of the information at once. And if we had to focus on one thing, it would be consumers. We'd want to focus on the people who are taking the products. But now I think we've got a little, as we step back, as we get a little bit more organized, we're starting to figure those things out. How do you talk to companies? How do you kind of manage the system? How do you kind of figure out and, and maybe return that data back to the manufacturer? If we find something, can we alert them? I think we, we want to do a better job of that. We want to do a better job of saying, of being a part of the entire industry instead of being this kind of like uh, renegade on the side. Right, 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 right. Do you get a lot of manufacturers proactively reaching out to you then? Has that happened a lot? It's a slow, steady pace. You might be a manufacturer a month or something will come out. And I think there's, there's a whole range of them. I think a, the majority of the complaints are honestly like A minus companies who oh, like right. the companies are, <laughs> the ones who really care. <laughs> yeah, they really care and they want to, yeah. like, I'm number eight and I want to be number one and here's why. And here's like literally 20 reasons why and like five studies attached. And we love that. Like, that's wonderful. Yeah. And if you do that, like, our scientists will read all of those studies and we will talk about it at, over a meeting and like, it'll be interesting to us. And if you convince us, there might, like, that's one of the big things that the protein manufacturers are trying to argue. They like, add a uh, amino acid scoring system. And maybe in maybe the ranking shift a little bit. I don't think it, it'll do very much, but there might be a few products that fall out. Yeah. So I guess that kind of comes to the, I mean, there's the other subject that some of these products have been around for a long time. So protein's pretty well standardized as a market and a fish oil as well. But of course, you know, then you have some of the newest supplements it must be a bit more challenging because the research can still be evolving in what are the active ingredients? We're not 100% sure we think it's this one kind of stuff. That's a tough one. I think that is a lot more in our calculations. So the testing is much more straightforward. So the nice thing is, at least if, even if we're testing like a nootropic or something, there would be specific ingredients where even if the clinical research hadn't completely proven that that ingredient works or not, like we could 100% know whether it's there or not. We could at least know that. Right, right, right. Because I mean, the first thing you're doing is you're just comparing the label. The label says it has this and yeah, actually it has something a little bit different in it, right? So it's that easy comparison to start with. That's easier. The part that we need to figure out, and sometimes we're staggering that, we might really focus on first on the ingredients that have really clear claims. And now we're kind of, we are getting more and more into specialty products now. So we are now ramping into, we're testing B-complex and glutamine and all of the joint support. And right, so now we're kind of going into things that have more complexity or variety. We're starting to unpack category or old categories. So now protein is going to have protein bars and protein shakes, and right, there's going to be wow. categories. I mean, yeah, protein a protein bar tends to be pretty complex in its makeup, right? Has all sorts of ingredients. We want to figure out the protein quality in the protein bars. That's such an important thing. We'll start testing vegan omega threes in the next couple months. So it is that kind of constant process of expanding existing categories, getting into new categories, and then you have to do the research on the fly. And we're finding that right. It's, there's in some places there's not good research right we you test an ingredient and you have all the data and then it's garcinia cambogia and there's no great evidence that says that it works and then in many cases you, we still try to plug that data in into our rankings and you get like our garcinia rankings there's not a single a grade product on the ranking right, right? right because there's just not enough efficacy in the calculation to get the score up right so you have like a five criteria you have label accuracy, which is very straightforward for you guys. And you just basically uh, compare. Then you have product purity. So what is that? Is that exactly? So that is we're just we're looking at the the heavy metals and contaminants versus 
upper limits. Okay, great. And then the nutritional value, would that fit more into what we were just discussing about it kind of, uh, Augustia Cabinoja? How would you say that? Carcinia Cambogia. Uh, yeah. No, so I would look, so nutrition, I would think more like the daily value, the RDAs or daily values of like the macronutrients. Okay. So that's what we're looking at. We're working on all of these names. We'll have to figure out exactly what they are, but I, yeah, yeah. But I think nutritional value, I, I port over to like daily value type stuff. Okay. So you compare there, then you got ingredient safety. So I'm looking at the, the quality of the inactive ingredients. So what's the risk of the safety risks of the inactive ingredients? Okay, so if people don't like aspartame or something in, yeah. in their pills, there you go. And then projected eff- efficacy, would that be going back to our, our discussion just now? Is like, oh, is this really an active yeah. molecule? Yeah, so that's concentration of active ingredient and the quality of active ingredient. Okay, cool. Yeah, just so people know when they go to your site, like what, what they're looking at and how to navigate yeah, it properly. That makes a lot more sense. And they understand where things are at and, you know, how these things are based over time. And obviously the label accuracy is the thing that they can um, trust uh, the most from the get-go. It's really interesting. And I think we've, uh, what we, we look at it and we want to have different people weigh it different ways. That's another part of our learning curve is there, some people want to be entirely efficacy focused, right? So it's just like, give me my active ingredient. And I think that's really important to people. I want a 95% pure omega-3. Uh, and some people are very focused on purity and purity is the only thing that matters to them. And they'd almost rather take a placebo that's pure. Uh, and then there's, there's a group of people who are, it's all about honesty. It's all about label accuracy. And I think what we want to do is we have our own weighing system. And I think we'd love, to, that's part of that personalization process. We'd love to have a process where you put in your own weights for what you think is most important and the rankings change based on that. Great, great. A lot of people in the supplements industry, they have, you know, you have certificates of analysis from the manufacturers. Is this something you get from the companies? I mean, I'm guessing you're not reaching out to all of these guys. You're just kind of buying up the, the products and no, it's it's really a it's a it's a retail process for us. It's an independent purchase. We get, I mean, the A minus people will send us certificates of analysis. So and, and that's fine. And that, that's anytime we get anytime we're working with manufacturers and there's science going back and forth. It's we're in a good place. Yeah, cool. So their certificate of analysis is basically probably the same kind of analysis or something similar to say what's in it that they've had done by either their manufacturer or themselves or a third party lab normally, right? And then they can compare it to yours and say, hey, I mean, I want to be A+. Yeah, and sometimes it's the other way. Actually, more often, it is a request for a certificate of analysis from us because they want to go to their supplier and complain, right? Ah, interesting. So they've got, do you think they've got false certificates of analysis or they just didn't? Well, there's there's just so many moving parts in any of these supply chains, right? And so if you got, if you're making a multivitamin, you might be sourcing 30, 40, 50 ingredients. And so if you see the lab report and two are off, you know which supplier that is, right? And you can go find out. Uh, and we haven't, that's something that, it's, a, it's really interesting data that could really help the supply chain, could help manufacturers. And, and honestly, we just haven't found a way to package that back up, that data back up. It's just something that we've just purely focused on how to get it, how to get the data first to consumers. And as we build up more and more data, as we start seeing trends, I think as we see more years of data, as we see more trends, that will be another type of business that I think would be interesting for us because that's important to us. I think we'd want to be more and more integrated over time. I could see a, a place where uh, maybe Labda does all of those types of certifications, right? Instead of the organic certification and the gluten certification and the, the tested for sports certification all being different companies, Lab is going to have to do any all that testing anyways, right? So if we could somehow say, look, we've already done the testing, 
here's a certification. That could be a really interesting thing for us. We'll look at every part of the industry and every way that we can help. That's part of the expansion process. It's part of like, how do we learn? How do we grow? How do we provide more value? Right, right. And not just to consumers, but like you say, to the manufacturers and the suppliers to improve the supply chain in general, right? Because it's not it's not necessarily a brand owner's. He could design a, a great product and he could ask a, a manufacturer, depending on his due diligence and like the process he goes through and his experience just to pick up on these things and, and the testing that's given to him. But it might not be his fault that it's not exactly what he wanted in the first place. Yeah, I think it's between that and and that's just not there's so many things that they're focusing on. And I think that we want to we want to be the place where if you're a manufacturer, just focus on making the best product. We'll help show it to consumers. Don't spend money on marketing, spend money on quality ingredients. And we'll give you the data you need. It's really transparent. We're really transparent with the A minus people about what it takes to get to an A. And we'll do that with everyone else, right? And the every company knows. Well, obviously, like the reason why I'm losing to the number one guy is they have twice as much omega three per gram as I do, right? Like now I, I know that it's gonna be three times more expensive for me to increase my omega three concentration. Right? That's a trade-off. And that's they're gonna have to make that equation. And we would love it if Labdoor was driving so much sales to the high concentration folks that the math eventually worked out that you should just make higher quality products. Right, because you provided more information into the market and more people were making informed decisions and thus it becomes more in their interest to raise the quality because their sales volume increases based on it. So what types of supplements have you looked at so far? As an overview, how have you found the general quality of supplements to be just I mean, was it what you expected, especially based on the articles that all came out last year about testing Walmart, uh, CVS Pharmacy and places like that? There was a, there were a lot of issues that were brought up then. I think, well, there's a couple of things. So one, uh, we're about to release glutamine, which will be our 20th category. So if you go to labdoor.com slash rankings, you will see the 19 rankings we've done so far. So it is it's more than just protein and fish oil. There's multivitamins, prenatals, and we've looked at kind of like vitamin C and D. We've looked at calcium and magnesium and zinc. We're trying to go through category by category of the most popular. And so under that list of the top 20 are the next 50 that we're looking at. And those really consumers go in and vote on what they want to see next. Oh, yeah, I want this referral to do that. If people are like, yeah, I want this reviewed. Yep. Labdoor.com slash rankings. Okay. And they can vote for something new that they want ranked. Yep. And so there's all bunch of categories in there and we're just trying to grab them as quickly as possible. So some of the most popular ones on there, like uh, glutamine and B-complex and uh, glucosamine are already in the lab. We're already working on them. And just keep voting. And we'll basically, you'll get an email when that category is available. What we want to try to do is just in, over the next year or two, finish those 50 categories, really go through and say, hey, we, the supplement industries, you can really come up with any major product and Labdoor will have it, have at least one, at least one set of data on it, right? Just enough to get you in. And I think once we do that and really get the lab fully up and running and kind of at, uh, instead of 25 products a month, we really should be doing hundred plus products per month. That's what I would say, Maybe we'll look at other categories. Maybe we'll look at food and beverage. Maybe we'll look at meal replacements. I mean, we're already kind of like protein bars are already starting to kind of touch meal replacements and functional foods. Right? Even like baby products, like baby food and baby formula is really on the edge of being a supplement. They're manufactured in very much the same way. And so any of those types of things, we'd love to be in places where there's you feel like there's some uncertainty. Right. If you feel like I don't know what what I'm buying, 
that's enough for Labdoor to jump in. It doesn't necessarily need to be the supplement industry where you get data every week saying something goes wrong. I think it's even a case where like, oh man, you're like buying a baby, buying baby formula and you have no idea like what's in it. And any point where there's any sort of uh, that kind of insecurity, you should uh, look to places like Labdoor to get some place, get science, get data uh, and make make that decision with, with more backing. I actually don't think that the, I want to try to make sure that the supplement industry doesn't get as many like all negative stories. I think that's really where it's it's starting to go. It's really kind of pushing into a lot of negative stories. And that's not really our market. Like you'll see that Labdoor is not the person driving a lot of those stories. Sure. I mean, what do you think of the market? You've got the data on nearly 20 categories now. Where would you say it's at? If you had to like kind of explain in objective terms, where is supplement quality currently at? I think there's about three even groups of companies. There are a third that are doing a really great job. And those are basically the A products in the market. There's the, a third that are like the B and C products that are just not worth it for the money. And they're usually, those are usually the guys using brand or marketing to sell products. And then you've got the DNF. When you say brand, brand or marketing, could you, I mean, give an example of maybe naming a specific company, but what does that mean for you, the brand or marketing? These are companies, I've, I've literally looked at some of these public companies that have, and like the, I mean, these first, like the head of R&D works for the head of marketing in a lot of these companies. You'll see like these companies haven't made significant investments in R&D, but are spending 20, 30, 40% of their budget or more on marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are companies that are truly spending more on marketing as a percentage of revenue than they are on the products themselves. And in, you see that in the, in the data. Right. And those become the BNC products that are actually usually more expensive than the A products. We're finding that there's really no correlation between price and quality. Okay. There's just none in this market. There are people who are just this middle group are just it's medium quality for high price. It's just like right. so it's, it's, you got you got some products which are brand driven, they're premium brand. You know, they put a lot of good marketing behind it, but actually the, the product doesn't back it up. Yeah, that's the second third. And I think the third third is honestly people, the D and F grade products where people are honestly cheating. There are and it's, it's different by different categories. Something as simple as a creatine product, you usually don't have to worry about as much. It's just creatine in a bottle, right? Like there's fewer things that could go wrong. Those products, maybe five, ten percent of products have problems. Uh, but there's things like Garcinia, seventy percent of products had a problem. Wow, right. So it really does vary a lot. By so creatine's been around for a long time. It's extremely standardized. So I, I imagine it's a bit of market development. So there must be so many manufacturing facilities now that the technology is well standardized, creating creatine and everything. So it's a little bit easier, and it's also something very straightforward. It's not like it gets damaged easily, um, like fish oils and, and so on. So yeah, I guess each each category can be quite different. So yeah, so I think each category is quite different. Overall, it's about what we need to do is try to get people into the, the top third as much as possible, right? If we can do that, if we can really focus, help you focus when you're in the store, because that's what's happening in the store, right? There's a, a hundred fish oils, yeah, right? And how are you picking a hundred fish oil? Uh, and, and I think that's why the brand and marketing thing works so well. When there's 100 fish oils, you see the brand you recognize, and that just makes that purchase easier. Uh, and what we'd want to do is say, what if those 100 fish oils were instead ordered from 1 to 100 in some sort of other system based on science? Yeah, yeah, excellent. A couple of uh, questions. If you, I realize you probably don't want to name companies, but I'm interested in the trusted science brands, the, the ones that look like they're doing research and backing up with content like foreign research, life extension. People tend to trust these kinds of brands. 
Um, I don't know if you've looked at those types of brands, not necessarily those guys, but kind of similar ones, which are putting out a fair amount of content on their sites and they talk about their research and stuff. Do those tend to have reasonable quality? We haven't tested as many of those yet. And I think okay. the reason why is because our initial way of picking best, the most popular products per category was to use online bestseller lists. Ah, okay. And the Thorn and the Life Extension are usually sold through doctors and things. So we missed that in the first round. They're probably a bit more more expensive for most people as well. That might be... It might be. It's, all, it's more expensive. There's different mm. channels. Yeah. We'd like to figure out... We'd like to prove that. I think if we'd love to test those products and see, is there really a price and quality correlation there? Because otherwise, industry-wide, there is zero price-quality correlation. And there are honestly categories on our site where literally the cheapest product in the category is the number one in quality. Wow. It's amazing. It's yeah. just, it, it doesn't work in it. I mean, maybe in, in like handbags or cosmetics. Or, so they're, like, they're, these are the types of industries where that works, right? Could you give us an example? Is that something like creatine where yeah, it's I very simple? It, it might have been creatine. Yeah. yeah, it might have been something like creatine where mm-hmm. the people who are really trying to jazz it up with a fancy box and stuff are actually not, and five artificial sweeteners and not enough creatine. Those are the people who are expensive and at the bottom. And this. And vice versa, the people who just throw 100% creatine monohydrate in a bag do pretty well. Cool. Okay, so we talked about about price correlation and it, that there isn't much, um, which is interesting. You looked at online reviews from consumers on Amazon as well, I noticed just recently. What were your results there? Same thing, zero correlation, right? And what we might need to figure out is they might be answering totally different questions, right? The user reviews might be totally answering the qualitative question and we're answering the quantitative question. and First of all, I think there's certain categories of supplements, like a multivitamin, for example, where other than pill size, there's not that much qualitative, really, that you have to worry about. You're not taking a multivitamin, you're like, oh, I feel better today, right? Like, there's not that much qualitative to do. It, these decisions should be more quantitative. They should be more scientific. And so I think the thing we try to talk about as much as possible is for most of these categories, we should be letting user reviews go and really focusing most of our energy on on scientific reviews. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, they're not around everywhere. You're doing, you know, you're working on it. Yeah. But it can be hard to come by. I used to use Consumer Lab Reports, right? Which is the other company that was doing it. And so that's where, and then you guys came along. So it's a free service versus a paid service. It helps helps me out that way. What I want to bring up, I don't know if you've uh, seen this new company, which is kind of trying to position itself right at the top of the supplement industry, which is Elysium. I've seen that, yes with their anti-aging and they have a, a scientific board of directors. So they've, they've really tried to go more that the scientific approach, we should be trusted where we're using a uh, pharmaceutical grade production process. We have a scientific board of advisors of some of the top scientists in this area in the world. Uh, I found that was really interesting and uh, really encouraging in terms of really taking a, a step up and, you know, it's got VC funding. So it's a completely different business model, really. And I guess it's only being possible now because of the size of the market where they can now have a VC driven model where they can go and get top scientific advisors on board, sometimes Nobel prize winning um, guys and stuff um, to be able to raise the standard uh, a lot. So yeah, it'd be interesting if you help with your work to promote that kind of activity as well. Absolutely. I feel like guys like that are like the new generation of like the thorn and pure encapsulations, right? It's, it's just, and there's more people like that. I think Honest Company has really tried to do that, not just in supplements, but in cosmetics and hustled products. So there's a lot of places where there's renewed interest in that kind of high quality uh, direct-to-consumer brand. 
And I think that fits really well with where Labdoor is. I think we want to, we need to get to a place where that product is in a category versus the other people. And that would be really interesting because now foods has some of those same ingredients, for example, right? And like, there's a lot of generic manufacturers who have the same ingredients as, as LCM does. But there's an issue of like, do you trust the generic manufacturer and things like that? It's interesting because I looked on Amazon, of course, for the ingredients because they're being transparent about the ingredients, which is another thing. Not all companies will tell you exactly what is in uh, the product. Some companies, you can ask them for their certificate of analysis. A lot of consumers don't know that, but you can just like contact them. And sometimes they'll give it to you. It depends on their policy. Sometimes they'll say, sorry, we don't hand out that for proprietary reasons or whatever. So there are a fair number of uh, certifications out there. I don't know if you've looked at any of these. Sometimes we see these stamps on products and we don't really know what's behind them a lot of the time. Have you looked at any of those? We've looked at it a little bit. So I think there's one, my general issue with certifications is there's many of them and consumers don't really understand what they all mean. I worry that in a situation where if you give too much information it actually, it's, it's an overload and actually it doesn't get paid attention to. Uh, so that's one of my kind of issues with certifications. We'd like to do at Labdoors to try to figure out if there's some way to get beyond a certification, beyond a pass-fail system and get to, like, is the product really good? Because there's two different parts of this, right? If there's the part where, hey, here are the third or two-thirds of the products that are bad, that's fine. But I think the, like our business is really dependent on, like, can we help you make a good decision? Can we help you get into the good third? And so what we need to do as much as possible is find that way of saying, of just highlighting the good products. I think that's really, for us, we'll have to keep focusing it on it that way. Uh, and so I want to, I, I would as much as possible like that not to be certification based. I think if we wanted to say, look, it's not about whether it's organic or not, it's about what's the quality of the product, right? And in many cases, I mean, just because it's organic doesn't mean it's pure. In many cases, organic products can catch a lot of heavy yeah, metals. That's, an, that's a good point. Right. So all of those things we don't want to get into. We don't want to outsource the decision to that single certification that you, should, you really should be having your decision on like a holistic approach to the product. Yeah, because whether it's organic or not, that's kind of a, like a philosophy. But at the end of the day, it's the, the pesticide residues and, and the heavy metals that people are really interested in a lot of the time. It's very much like the filters to me. So if you want to have a vegan filter or a sugar-free filter, an organic filter or a non-GMO filter in your life, I think that's fine. I think that's just a fundamentally different decision criteria than almost like the quality and value rankings. We'll let those things be, uh, let them cross. And that is useful as a filtering tool. Oh, so I think we kind of covered this, but have you come across instances where the certificates of analysis have been different to what you found? Yeah, I think what we'll do is, I mean, there's a kind of a standard process. So if, if a company, if we have our if we have our testing and our certificate of analysis, a company comes with their own, then we will go to a third party a lab and we will get testing done there. And the idea is basically the grade goes up, uh, we'll pay for it. If the grade goes down, they pay for it. And that's it, right? It's just like we... I think that is, we want to figure out a system where it's just, I mean, these are, we're at any given point defending 700 products uh, and soon we'll be defending thousands of products, right? And so we want to be able to say at some level, like we want to be the referee and we'll, we understand that not everything is going to be hundred percent perfect and we'll just be open to it. And if you think that something's wrong, challenge us on it and challenge us on with scientific data, with a certificate of analysis and look, well, testing, we can always test more. That's always, that's possible. The thing we, we can't do is is kind of get into shouting matches with companies, right? Yeah, sure, sure. So in terms of 
to give people an idea in terms of how often does that come up? Does it come up a lot or is it, is it relatively rare? I would say it's, it's less than 5% of the companies will ever kind of come and talk to us. And I think a lot of people will indirectly come and talk to us. We'll get emails from their, their customers complaining or things like that. There's all kinds of kind of like side things, but it's not like, I think it's, it's something where there are kind of a, there are some very passionate people on, on the manufacturing side of the industry. And I think we've tried to be really open with it. I think if we talk, I think it's important for us to actually be talking to more of the industry. I actually should be going and I'll, I'll do more of this is go and travel, spend time at, at supply side conferences where people are actually talking to the manufacturers. I need to do that. And I think that's something that as we get bigger, I should be talking to half or more of the industry because I think if LabDoor's data gets back to the companies, it's going to be good for the industry. It'll, you'll have rapid feedback. You'll have feedback from consumers and from the lab. Uh, both of those things are incredibly valuable for manufacturers and it'll make the products better. So we're talking about this, the technologies you're using are relatively standardized now. They've been around quite a long time. I, I think they're currently going, getting better in terms of cost, right? They're expected to, to get cheaper over the next years. Um, that was just a, a tra- training I was at recently. But I was just wondering if you think there's some variability. So say if they did come with another certificate of analysis and then you went to a third party lab, how much variance does there tend to be between labs? Because just in my own testing, I, t- I test a lot of different things. There's a fair amount of variability between labs. I'm still, unfortunately, you know, we're still in the middle of kind of, I guess it's mostly the processes and ironing out all of these things. And some of the technologies are getting more mature over time and more and more stable. Uh, for these particular technologies, how stable would you say they are and, and the accuracy and so on? Yeah, you're getting good data out of it. I think even in even in a situation where there's a 10% lab-to-lab variation, first there's there's different labs, and I think the labs we use, we're not seeing... We're seeing sub 10% variation, right? And in many cases, we were talking about two to five percent batch to batch variation. So even like like different lab, different product in different batch, we're even seeing pretty similar results. And that's just like some of these products, and it's it's with the established companies. The thing that we're finding is there's some companies or some that where the product is vastly different from category to category. There's certain things where so I think we I worry less about that. I think what we need to do is build repeat testing into the model because it's any sort of calculation like this the confidence goes way up when you get the second and third and fourth test so that's what i think that's where we're at right now the the first test is good data and it's important for consumers to get it and then every other test the second third fourth you get a lot of increase in confidence and then like then you just have to be consistent right then you have to get on your yearly every other year basis and we'll we'll be kind of humming along normally and so i think for us labdoor year five body a 10-year process of really kind of stabilizing everything and having a fully fully operational machine and then we'd want it to just automatically test products right like every month people request new products we tested we're automatically getting into new categories we're automatically maybe thinking about new ways to rank products we're getting deeper and deeper into personalization but it's a very it'll be a very consistent improvement process have you got plans to retest any categories yet or any are you doing your first retest with any um category yet this coming year or is it going to be a little bit way off yet no i think we'll yeah we'll be doing retesting i think we'll get multivitamins will be retested next year there'll be a whole category I, we want to be in 2017 if we can get to the point where we are not just we're marking the dates on when we've tested it last and predicting when we're going to test it next. Right. And really, as much as possible, say the popular categories are every year, the, the less popular every two years. 
And again, just like everything, we can start shrinking those things because right now we're on basically two year testing cycles and we'd want to push everything to yearly testing cycles, right? It'd be great to say, oh, the Labdoor 2016 protein data is this and 2017 protein is this. And let's see the trends of which brands have been consistently at the top and consistently at the bottom. Uh, those are all things that it, it is about. We need more lab capacity. We need more testing. We're going out. We've raised venture capital. Uh, and so that's a big part of this process and a big part of the reason why we think we can do 100 products a month next year instead of 25 products a month. Uh, that's a big part of that, too. That's how we're going to get there. We're going to have to get there 100 products a month at a time. We're not going to get there. We're not going to be able to download the database of 100,000 products because that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. It's step by step. Like you know, You're building lab capacity, basically, yeah. over time and trying to make sure it's monetized. So it's a step by step process. Great. Let's talk about some specific case studies and some of the more interesting takeaways. Um, what have been some of the worst lab results you've seen, like categories? I mean, the Garcinia Cambogia was still the worst category we ever saw. They were fully 70% of the products did not have the labeled active ingredient. It did, so they had zero, had nothing. No, they had less than their quantity, but they had, we're talking about like 10% or less of the label claim kind of thing for most of these products wow. to the point where it's like essentially nothing. And what that is, is that was a lot of fly by night. They're usually selling on Amazon. You know, this is something where you can just spin up a brand out of nowhere, white label it, throw it onto Amazon, and there's no check. There's nothing between you. And then theoretically, there are user reviews between you and that product. But then these companies buy user reviews too. And so that's it. There's literally nothing between you and this product hitting the market. Uh, and so we've seen, I mean, the cool thing is you go and look at a lot of those affiliate links and they're broken, which means that the, the products have come off of Amazon. So they're not being sold anymore. And so there's some sort of cat and mouse game there. I'm sure some of them have spun up and made new products and we're going to have to go and chase those down. But at least some of those cases we're seeing the, they're gone. They're not there anymore. And so I think in those cases, I think we, we do our job when we, we show people what's right and wrong. I think we've, we've done a good job. I think there's categories like that where 70% of products fail. There's categories like creatine where 10% or fewer products fail. And then there's kind of the like the in-between zones where, you know, fish oil, you've got about a quarter of the products have rancidity issues. And so we're filtering that and we're, we're, that's part of purity. That's a part of our purity score. So we're seeing in different categories, there are issues, but I think in the other categories, they're more of like, Hey, there's this like half of the products that you need to avoid, or there's this 30% of products or 10% of products you need to avoid. It's still worth checking. Right. Like in any of these situations, it's still worth checking, but it's that's the range we're at somewhere between 10 and 70 percent. You've got to worry about. Excellent. So as you were talking there, I kind of took some guidelines or rules away from the, the situations you brought up and stuff. Do you have any guidelines in your mind from the research you've done so far on like if there is no data having you know been through your research process and kind of seen have you seen any patterns where you'd be like, OK, instead, I'd use this heuristic to decide which product I'm going to buy if I don't I don't have access to the data right now. We're not seeing very much brand correlation. There's not a ton of brand correlation. What we're finding is one thing we find is that companies that only make one or two things do really well. So like the company that specializes in probiotics does a really good job in probiotics, but actually has a, a B minus multivitamin or something, you know, like those types of things happen a lot. And so you have like the protein specialist or the creatine specialist does really well there. Fisher all the same way. Uh, so think about that. I think that might be one thing to think about people who are specialty. And then really, other than that, send us, send us the link on Labdoor and we will add it to our site. I think we need to, we need to test those products. I think we need to get, 
we've had the luxury, I think, a little bit of kind of growing, growing quietly. I think a lot of people are just learning about us five years later. And we did that on purpose. And we did that very kind of fundamentally. We said, we're going to just focus on one category. We'll say, like, we won't go to press saying, hey, Labdoor is all this great company. We'll say, hey, look at Labdoor's visual data. Let's look at Labdoor's vitamin C data. Look at Labdoor's uh, multivitamin data. That part of it, I think we've just, we've been very focused on just like, hey, like, come listen to us about what we know. And like, we'll be an expert in certain things. We'll be a destination in one category at a time. And now I think we're at a point where, we need to we need to move faster, and I think that's why we've gone in and raised more money. We've gone we're kind of going in and buying HPLCs and things and bringing them into the building. We're buying auto samplers, like all this kind of stuff to just make things go faster. And so at this point, if you can find things that are specialty products and you trust them, take them. Otherwise, I'm really at the point where I'm waiting. I'm actually saying, well, I'm thinking about taking curcumin, but I think I'll wait six months until Labdoor tests it. Right. Like I, it might be in that process. And I, I think because there's going to be I know that curcumin is going to be like many other categories that's going to be it's you've got an extract. And so certain certain companies, certain products are going to really pull a lot of a lot of heavy metals out of that extract. Right. There's a, there are different kind of extraction processes. Yeah. There are some like that which are going to be challenging for sure, because it comes from turmeric and turmeric can come from all sorts of places. Uh, so you can you can tell that one's going to be a complex one. Right. And that reminds me of something like ginseng or something where. Right, the ginsenicide content. You can look at I, ginseng is is different than the active ingredient, and so you're getting you're not always getting the same extraction, uh, and it's not consistent. And so, in cases like that, I would basically say wait, and that's how I do it. I wait until Labdoor has some data. <laughs> and you've got the inside, the inside guide to that. Okay, great. I mean, the other heuristic I was thinking of is you were talking because I've seen this a lot on Amazon is you have these one product wonder companies where they basically just make one product in it. And I think they just pop up. There's a new fat loss supplement that they just kind of jump on board. And you see that this company otherwise doesn't seem to be anywhere doing anything, but it's just made this one product. Even its website sometimes isn't great. But on Amazon, they got like thousands of reviews and they're sometimes the top of the category. <laughs> and you're like, what's going on here? Um, and often they're giving away products for, for reviews and, they, you know, they're using a whole bunch of marketing tactics to establish themselves there. But, you know, if you look a bit more into the company, they don't have a strong background and they're just going to come and, and go. So that's, what, that's one of the things I've, I've also noticed a little bit might be worth thinking about. Yeah, we see those a lot, too. I think in general, I think like Labdoor is, is really meant to replace heuristics with kind of a scientific method as much as possible. And, and it, I think that's just really what kind of bringing us all the way back to the beginning. It's really what really motivated the idea of Labdoor at the, it was just the idea of like, imagine standing in a Walgreens with a hundred, a hundred options and how are you making that decision? Right. And you're going to use a heuristic. You're going to use the, like the second, I mean, if you're buying wine, you'd buy the second cheapest, right? There's all these like goofy heuristics that you can use. Maybe you buy the cheapest, maybe you buy the house brand, maybe you buy the famous brand, you, like you buy the most expensive, like everyone's got their system. And we kind of just consistently finding that any one of these heuristics has no correlation to the scientific data. So you really just have to keep coming back to the data to really make your decision. It'll be interesting at some point for you to like publish which heuristics were the worst in correlation. Oh man, I love that. That's a great one. I think that's, we want to, we mess with this all the time. And I think this is another thing that we'd love to do more at Labdoor is get outside of just the testing that we have to do to grow the site. If we're able to test hundred or 150 products, we might have some leeway to take 10 or 20 or 50 products and just say like, Hey, you want us to test like 
a Chipotle burrito or like a McDonald's Big Mac, we'll do that too, just because it's interesting to us. Or like, we might want to get into like talking about user reviews. We might want to talk about, try to figure out a system to verify user reviews or figure out whether, maybe actually teach people that about these correlations, right? Teach people that there's really no correlation between price and quality. So you shouldn't use price. There's no correlation between user reviews and quality in these categories. And you should really think about what kind of categories, what kind of products are experience-based products where 10 minutes after you finished your meal, you know whether it was good or not, right? Or like, and which, which products are truly scientific products? And yeah, which is just a subjective experience. Someone's just like, oh yeah, I kind of love the brand and I bought it and I really enjoyed the brand. Yeah, and so I really want to make, I, we have to figure that out. And I think that is such a, I mean, we did that in VC meetings. I, like we literally, I was walking to the elevator at, after one of these VC meetings of an investor who said no, and he said, you know, you're the entire history of the universe. Marketing has won. <laughs> marketing will find a way. <laughs> and I said, look, we maybe so. And I think we've figured that and we've kind of thought about that. And we said, look, maybe we just we need to um, we need to market the science better. We need to figure out ways to make the data easier to understand. Right. We need to go. And that's part of our team. And so I think we'll we'll do that. We'll find easier ways to teach this. Maybe we'll redo the Pepsi challenge, right? And you redo the Pepsi challenge and you talk about, hey, like there were problems with the Pepsi challenge. First, like Pepsi was running the Pepsi challenge, right? And like there's, there's some credibility issues there, right? And like all these things. And you could teach people through very simple systems that they already understand. Hey, like this is, this is how you're currently making decisions. This is how you're currently being marketed to. And here's how you should be marketed to. You should be marketed to based on science, based on the data, based on transparency and objectivity. I think the fact that Elysium and other companies like that are now, are now showing up is is showing that there is something changing. Of course, marketing is always going to be important, but I think some of this authoritative input is starting to become a lot more important and trust and stuff. You see it, you see it across the markets and, and there's a lot of people talking about it as well. Gary Vaynerchuk and I, you know, some of these people, I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think they've definitely got a, got a point about trust, authority and so on. And it's going to become bigger and bigger. What are you looking forward to in this space? Are like, there going to be changes in technology which are going to help you over the next five or even 10 years like do a better job of this? What are you looking forward to in this space? I honestly think it's, it's at, for us, it's as simple as getting 10 times bigger. I think if we get 10 times bigger, every part of the system makes sense for us. Um, and I think that's what we're trying to figure out. Like We just passed, we just got to 15 employees. Right? This, is a, this is a pretty tight unit here. And we need to go, as we go up from 10 to 100 employees here, and these are going to be mostly kind of science and technology folks, right? It's that, those are the structures right now where we're, we'll be able to unpack some of these jobs. People who are doing five or six or seven jobs will be just doing one um, and we'll be able to add some redundancy. We'll be able to add more testing. We'll be able to go faster. And really, we'll be able to, this full engine will be running where, well, really kind of the, the old categories are paying for the new categories. All of that stuff needs to happen. And as we grow, as we do that, I think this is where I see Labrador becoming a more and more mainstream brand over the next five, 10 years. And I, and I want to have very much like for experienced products like restaurants, you don't buy without checking Yelp, right? I think you really want to say for, for scientific products, for medical products, for health products, you don't buy without checking Labrador. Where you want a functional benefit. You're looking for this functional benefit. So yeah. is it, is it, does it work? Is it safe? And the more you think about that, you make so many decisions like that. I mean, I just did this with um, with a household cleaner, 
like I was thinking about buying like, hey, this like method cleaner versus this honest company cleaner versus this like Clorox cleaner. Like, does the green cleaner work? Like, does that organic certification matter? You've got all the same problems. Like, is there anything toxic in this? I'm going to breathe this in. I might eat it. Like, you've got all the same problems as you do with the supplement. And you make that decision even more casually than you do with the supplement because there's even less data. And we have to just, we have to get into more and more of these categories. And I need it to be in a place where maybe I have your whole profile. I know exactly what you're allergic to, exactly what your preferences are. And I'm helping you in the entire drugstore make all these decisions. To, to throw in a little case study there, I've been uh, testing a whole bunch of uh, pesticides and heavy metals and so on. One of the more unique and interesting things I came out with in my samples was really, really high atrazine mercapturate, which was interesting because it's been banned in the EU where I've spent some time since 2004, I think it is. And so mine, mine was off the chart. It was like uh, nine, 96th percentile. Uh, so it was hunting around, trying to figure out where this stuff was coming from. Wow. And I'd recently, be, I've been keto for a lot since January. And so I started using different oils. One of them was macadamia oil. And it just happens to come from Australia where atrazine isn't banned. And I'm guessing, because I stopped that now, I looked into the research and stuff and it looks like that it's very probable that's where it came from. So I'm guessing that that will, you know, be gone where my system, from my system the next time I test. But yeah, so just to say that, you know, this isn't like theory, like it, it happens. And, you know, if you test your, your own body samples and stuff, you can come up with stuff and you're like, oh, I'm eating something toxic. And I had no idea, didn't even think about it. And I'm one of the guys who tests a lot more and thinks more about this stuff than most people. So if I'm getting that kind of effect, I figure most people are getting more of an effect than me. Absolutely. It's, it's so important to check. And I think we'll, it's, and it's too much. I think it's too, I think too many of these stories Whenever you see that neg that new negative supplement story, I think what happens is people kind of withdraw and they become less likely to buy or be they become more attached to their existing purchases, right? Like they stick to their existing brand. And I think both of those kind of like withdrawing motions are wrong. You actually should go out and get more data. But the problem is it's just like I, it becomes this thing where you don't like when there's a lot of negativity, you don't want to go out and get more data. And so I think what we want to do what, with LabGuru is say, look, we'll focus you on the best products. We'll focus you on the A-grade products. And let's make it a good story. Let's focus these, let's focus sales in the market. Let's, let's put hundreds of thousands of people a month and let's focus them on the best products in the market. Let's reward companies for doing a good job and making great products. And let's see if there's something really positive that we can do. Can we really reorganize the market to where the best quality products are making the most sales? All right. So this, this can be a, a more challenging question, I guess, than most, just because some, some people want to oh, wonder about this, but it can be really interesting uh, what, what comes out of it. Is there anything you've changed your mind about in the last few years in the testing area or in, in, in supplements in general? Is there an underlying assumption of how you, you go about things or what you've been thinking that you've kind of turned on its head? And There's been a couple. I think one of them was really, we, we've kind of gone in two different directions with the data. We started with very technical, these were long reports, and then we went all the way kind of in the other direction with this like A through F grade, which was very simple. And the rankings were very simple. And we definitely needed to do that because I think that's really what helped people actually use Labdoor. And I think what it will probably do is kind of slowly taper. We might do every, our idea is to do every version of it. Like we've actually thought about this idea of could, we used to think of that as a fight between like, is it more data or less data? And I think the answer is actually all of the above but we need to kind of organize it to where like first you see the A and then the A breaks down into five categories and those five categories break down in this data. And so what we're trying to do is 
as much as possible to do every, like this is at the point where we used to get into these fights or is it like more or less? And I think it's the right answer is everything. And that's one of the big things we've learned. I think the, the bigger one in terms of like my mind changing was really, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but the manufacturers, I think I used to just be a hundred percent consumer focused and just said, this is all about being the, like the consumer watchdog. And it still is about being the consumer watchdog, but it is more importantly, it's we're we are a marketplace that's organizing these decisions for consumers. And so I think when it really comes down to it, our job is connecting consumers to the best companies and the best products. And it's that connection that makes us really good. And it's not the the thing where we kind of like show people that there's a bad product on the market is like part of our job, but it's not the core job. And I think that was the thing that we've switched. I think we we came out there kind of guns blazing, wanting to try to find the bad stuff. And increasingly, we're realizing that our job is to find the good stuff. Okay, I'd like to know a little bit more about you. Do you look look at improving your body and use of tracking? You've kind of already given us a couple of takeaways, but is there anything you track in terms of metrics or biomarkers or anything like that yourself? So... I, these days, my biggest focus is very, is really into mental performance. So I am track, I have a tracker of my major daily tasks that I do. And then I have a time tracker where I'm trying, I'm measuring how much time I'm spending in a day learning versus planning versus training versus communicating versus executing in the business. And so I'm, I'm separating my time and I've been using that to figure out in, and I kind of I'm using that for optimization right now. For example, I'm noticing that if I'm as our company scales, if I as I'm I'm noticing more push from executing to communicating, right? I'm seeing that switch and and really communicating is starting to become the more dominant mode. And so I think for me, between that, between more, I really like uh, Headspace and Lucid, which are two mental training apps. Lucid is more focused on almost like professional athletes. It's more on like it reminds me more of like like strength training for your mind, right? Where I think something like Headspace might be more about like conditioning, right? It's about, it's kind of a being about, uh, it's almost like, I think about it more of like the endurance or kind of like uh, long-term training. And so really that's really been my focus. In terms of my physical health, it's a really simple kind of vitamin D and fish oil that I take every day. And I have protein and creatine that I take after workouts. And that's really like my base stack. There's not really much that I'm doing. There are, after that, I think I really want to, I'm curious about a lot of different ingredients that we're, I'm waiting for us to test. I used to be a wrestler for many years. So I have, I have achy knees. And so I've always been looking for joint support and curcumin products. So I'm, that's been something that's really curious to me. I've really been curious about nootropics and different kind of men. The idea of I'd love to see more kind of caffeine plus theanine plus other ingredient research. Start looking at, I think, the, the, try to figure out ways where lab work can get better at thinking about synergies between ingredients. Uh, those are things where it's, it's almost like the, we need to figure it out. We need to figure out the science before we can do the rankings. Uh, but those are the types of things we're figuring out. And I think if we did that, I would love to be, I would love to kind of experiment more into the nootropic side as well if I could get it right. And so those are, that's how I track. But I think that's like the last kind of two, three years has been very mental focus. I feel like maybe the 10 years before that between like sports and like through college, I was so focused on kind of my all of my physical numbers. And ever since kind of lab door, especially, it's been very focused on my mental output. Great, great. So that 
time tracking thing you've done, are you tracking every minute of your day with uh, an app in your phone or something or how do you do it? Yeah. So it's an app called Hours. And I'm actually just, yeah, so all it, all it has to do is switch back. You just turn it on in the morning and then you switch it between different tasks. I don't switch between things too often. So it might only be five or 10 total transitions a day. It's, it's just measuring it over time. And I, I, I like the, that's really the, kind of the most zoomed out version of it. And I, I try to do these things in kind of in sprints. So it reminds me of the same thing of like calorie tracking. I, I got a really great recommendation from a dietitian once that said, track every calorie for 10 days and then stop, right? And that's basically the same thing I'm going to do with this tracking. I've been doing it for seven days. I'll do it for 10 every quarter, every six months or something like that. And I'll come back to it and make sure. Now the, like the mental like headspace or lucid, I might, like I'm actually doing that at least headspace at least three times a week, mental training at least five times a week. So those I'm actually, I'm getting in the gym, so to say, and like getting my work in. But then uh, the really kind of detailed tracking, I try to try as much as possible to limit into specific sections. Yeah, like tracking can be time consuming. That's the way I found it to be more uh, beneficial as well as like basically doing it, I call it projects. So I do a project for a couple of weeks or something and make an adjustment, hopefully an action or something comes out of it. And then move on to the next. Um, actually, a lot of my friends have also done the time tracking thing. I did it for about three months, many, many years ago. I have, I learned so much about where where my time was going, and I made like adjustments on like an everyday basis. And I haven't gone back to it. Maybe I should go back to it at this point because who knows what's happened now? Oh, did you get any like what are your big takeaways so far on the seven days? Or have you had any like or did you make any changes? You're like, wow, I'm spending a lot of time there. One thing that was bothering me was actually, it was initially bothering me that I felt like I wasn't spending as much of my time executing. And I think it just, it, it actually taught me that when I was actually tracking what I was doing with that time instead, I was realizing that it was a lot of casual, like grab someone for 10 minutes and talk to them about something specific that we'd want to improve. Um, and they were, that was really high value time. Right. And I was I was scared to do it because I was saying, oh, man, I like the like sitting at my desk writing emails seems like much more productive. Uh, and so I, I think that that was really what it is. And I think so much of the mental training and kind of this this work was actually just kind of confidence that you're doing the right thing. Right. It's this is kind of just like bringing the calm down, kind of just realize bring getting yourself into your zone as much as possible and just feeling like just getting your priorities right. I think that was the other thing, which is like I had my priorities right and I was I was worried about it. And I think that's why the 10 day really works. It's just a nice check in. And if you feel like you're doing a good job or like in a time like now where it's a bit of a transition, uh, you can make a move. Great. Great. If you were to recommend one experiment someone should try to improve like any aspect of their body, like mental performance or whatever, which you think would have the biggest payoff or likely to have a payoff, what would it be? I'm going to make a sale for this mental training. I came up with a system where also, I, I think part of kind of habit forming is, right, is attaching it to something. It's attaching to something where your new habit is attached to something that you do a lot. And I think one thing I noticed was I always kind of get into moments where I'll like work in like a, for an hour or two and then I want to get up and like pace and do something and then I'll come back and sit down. And so what I did was I said the first time I noticed that like the trigger for the pacing was something like, like I would get like agitated or I'd been working for too long, right? And that's, that's the trigger. It's like something... It, it feels negative. It's like something negative is that trigger. And what I attach it to is like that first time I feel that kind of like I need to get up off my desk and go somewhere else. I found that that would be my the first time in the day I felt that I would take the like my mental training out and do a 10 minute session. Like in that moment where I'm like frustrated and like agitated, I would die, take that moment 
And there's a couple of magical things. One, every single day of my life, I have an agitated moment. So I always train. And it reminds me that like when I'm agitated, it calms me down. And then I like I get back and it's a like a positive rep. And every time anytime I can turn that like you try to take a negative rep and turn it into a positive rep is always a huge improvement because it just adds it builds momentum. It builds a habit. Uh, and so I'm trying to just as much as fo- possible focus on the like the atomic unit of a habit and just getting it right each time. Oh, cool. Thanks for that. Uh, this is really interesting, like basically attaching it to something that happens to you all the time. Yeah. Um, and that you want to get rid of. Um, so you got that trigger waiting for uh, you to turn it around. Okay, where should someone, I mean, we probably know, <laughs> where should someone look for to learn more about this topic from you? Are there um, any good books or presentations on testing? Or I don't know, is there any more information if they want to get geek out on this? The thing we want to do, I mean, obviously, yeah, for anything testing related, go to Labdoor. Labdoor.com slash rankings is where we're going to do all of the voting. So to vote for things, I think that really helps us send us emails and or Twitter or Facebook messages and just tell us what you want us to test and we'll test it. Everything after that, I think, I think what we really like to, to do and I think is just, I think I really want to focus on people knowing that there are good supplements in every category. There is kind of these, these things are safe, right? These, this market is safe. And it, it really is a matter of, of just doing your research. And I think as much as possible, if you, if we can push and kind of get into a sense where we're focused on the research, we're, fo- we're buying based on science, that's really what's going to drive this, right? The more and more people who buy through Labdoor, if I can go to a company and say, look, or they know it, 20% of your sales are coming from Labdoor, that starts becoming a thing where, hey, I need to, this is one of my major sales channels. Right. And and that's going to happen. And I think right now we might be in the kind of five to 10 percent range for some companies uh, and we're growing and, and some companies it's, it's in different range. And we want to get that up and we want to get people to pressure themselves to focus more on science, really kind of make these decisions the right way. And I think it will pull up. I think the whole industry will come up and we'll all get better products. We'll all be healthier out of it. So when they go to your website, is it like are there more details on what you're doing? If some of the guys are listening to this today and, and they want to understand better what you're doing, is there any resources on your website or anything they could look at? So there's not, that's honestly something we're not doing a great job of right now. So there's some stuff on our site. If you go to labdoor.com, it'll explain like how we make money, a little more detail. It'll explain like what labs we use and things like that. It even like on our top bar, it'll say how we grade. Okay. Um, and so if you want to click there and kind of get deeper into what the five grades mean, uh, that's something that we can do as well. But I think the thing that we want to do this year, I think over the next 12 or 18 months, a big focus for us will be bringing people into the lab. Can we do experiments for you, right? Like if you, if anyone had a question and we wanted to just do an experiment, I'd want to be able to do that more. I want to be able to bring cameras into the lab more. I want to be able to, all of that stuff. I want people to ask us questions. We're like, we're working through YouTube right now. We're trying to just like sit here and like we have a new studio that I'm sitting in right now that we're trying to answer questions as much as possible. And so I think for us, as much as possible, it's just about being as transparent as possible, doing podcasts like this, right? Just like talking to people. I think the first four or five years, we needed to be quiet and do our work as much as possible. And this is, we're just hitting that transition point where we might like step out, look up and and say like, hey, people, you should come look at this. We've got something here. Excellent. Excellent. How can people best connect with you? Why either you or the company? Facebook and Reddit are the two fastest ways that people get to us. So if you want to talk to the company, it's just facebook.com slash Labdoor or our Reddit user is just Labdoor and we've answered hundreds of questions on there. So there's a, and there's, 
sometimes that sparks lively debates and we love that the idea of like 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 why should certain rankings matter like why does label accuracy versus project efficacy the weightings like it gets really into the details that's really if you that's a, a really interesting way to do that i'm on twitter if you want to find me at neil thanadar on twitter you'll find i'm usually talking about lab drawer or different things like my ideas about testing or i think interesting like as we grow i started to think more and more about how Labdoor touches other industries, like how it's, while at the core we're this like, scientific lab, I mean, there's a big part of us that is like a scientific uh, technology startup, right? There's a big part of us that is a, like an online media company, right? Like at some level we're journalists. And so they kind of like, we're, as it, as it unpacks, as we get deeper and deeper into Labdoor, kind of my interest of like what Labdoor could be has kind of expanded. And so if you have any ideas about what we should test next or uh, what, hey, we should, you should grade it differently or you should think about Labdoor in a different way. I love thinking about that. I love kind of dissecting what are the, like, what are the moving parts in any sort of industry, not just ours, like any industry, any kind of business is just fascinating to me. And so unpacking those is always so interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, ask me questions about that. Happy to, happy to chat forever about stuff like that. Excellent. Thanks. That's great. Do you have any ask or request from my audience? Anything specific? I'm trying. It really is use like never buy supplements without checking Labdoor. Uh, use our affiliate links. Help support Labdoor's business. And if there's anyone that you know that, let me just it just helps spread the word at this point. I think we are kind of right in that phase where, uh, I mean, I mean Yelp's really 15 or 20 years old at this point. It took them a good five, 10 years to establish that brand. And that's really that zone that we're in right now, where we're going from this kind of this upstart to this trusted rating agency. And part of that, most of that is really going to be people telling their friends about Labdoor, right? And saying, like, you, once you try it, you trust it and you keep using it. That's really our business. And, and we're going to grow as fast as kind of people help us grow. And so as much as possible, if there's any way that your folks can, uh, can share the word, we'd, we'd love to do that. Okay, great. Thank you. Neil, thanks for your time. Uh, it's been a really great interview. I uh, really learned a lot about the whole testing situation where it's at, so it's going to be really useful for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. To get more of the Quantified Body, subscribe on iTunes or go to the website verquantifiedbody.net. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-N-T-I-F-I-E-D-B-O-D-Y dot N-E-T. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we are at twitter.com slash quantifiedbody. And on Facebook, we are at facebook.com forward slash quantifiedbodypodcast. If you've got feedback or requests for the show, you can email them to me at damien at thequantifiedbody.net. That's D-A-M-I-E-N at thequantifiedbody.net. Thanks for joining the show this week. See you next time.